Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Hi guys, welcome to Veritas. I'm Emily, if we haven't met yet, I'm really excited you guys are here tonight. Um, A few years ago, an article caught my eye that I've been kind of sitting on for a while now. Maybe that's geeky that I think about articles years later, but I do. Um, But the article talks about how living in what is our normal, um, but our digital world, how um, that has kind of eroded our ability to focus and prioritize correctly. And so researchers are kind of jumping on this and they're um, noticing how we're kind of living our lives in this kind of like extreme form of multitasking, um, but only we're not like just doing a bunch of things all at once for productivity's sake. Um, But we are living our entire lives rapidly switching from screens to activities to different people, uh, hobbies and passions. Um, An Apple and Microsoft consultant um, talks about this a lot and she calls this continuous partial attention. And she says that we're kind of like unknowingly and subconsciously living into it. She has this quote, I'll put it on the screen. But she says that by adopting an always on, anywhere, anytime, any place behavior, we exist in this constant state of alertness that scans the world but never really gives our full attention to anything. I mean, think about it for a second. Those are a lot of words, but practically. Um, When was the last time you watched a TV show and didn't also have your phone open and you were like scrolling through social media or texting your friends? Or when was the last time you attended your online class or your in-person class um, and next to your notes you also had like an online tab open and you were like online shopping? Or when was the last time that you hung out with your friends in person, um, but you were also connecting with your other friends um, on your text messages or Snapchat or Instagram messages? I mean, I'm with you. This is like my normal. This is our normal. It's the air we breathe. We don't really think anything of it. Um, Fiat, I think I'm saying that correctly, the car company, um, a few years ago, it came, up with, it came out with this advertising campaign that gets at the heart, I think, of trying to do two things at once. I think it's genius. I'll show a couple in the campaign. It's kind of small, but at the upper right-hand corner, it says, you either see the letter or the girl. Don't text and drive. Then the next one says, you either see the dog or the letter. Don't text and drive. And having this like constantly divided attention, it's not just a problem in and of itself, um, but studies are starting to come out with this, um, these long-term effects that it's having on us over time. And it doesn't look super fun, um, but just some of how this is shaping us on a psychological level is that it's giving us a constant um, low-grade stress level because we're like always alert to everything that's happening to us. It's giving us an inability to focus and to prioritize, like I said before. It's giving us an overall just like feeling overwhelmed, um, an overall feeling unfulfilled, an overall feeling powerless over life, um, and then just an uptick in depression and anxiety. 
all super good. Um, but we've convinced ourselves, um, myself included, I'm like kind of part of your generation, um, but we've convinced ourselves that we can divide our attention across so many different things. Um, and all of these things are shaping us over time. And now, I don't want to underestimate um, the weight that this is happening, happening to us in our world, living in a digital world with social media and Netflix. I'm going to try and get my hair out of the way so it stops doing that. Um, but I don't want to underestimate the effects that this has on us now. Um, but this feeling distracted and unfocused and unfulfilled and stressed, all of these feelings, um, these are nothing new. Human beings have always struggled with what to focus on, what to center their lives on, what to give their attention to in a world with social media and Netflix or not. Like we've been talking about all semester, um, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus pulls up onto the scene, he says that he is the way of life, that he, his way of life um, is vastly richer and deeper than all of this that he has a vision for human flourishing, for the good life, for the blessed life. That's the name of our sermon series this semester. And we've been studying it all semester and, for, and what it means for us. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was speaking to a culture that also struggled to find a center for their life. They too felt pulled in so many different directions. They too felt pulled by a multitude of topics and priorities and things that were trying to get their attention. And they too were kind of in their own way, living in their own state of continuous partial attention. Um, and they too were slow to see how it was shaping them. And they're shaping their ability to focus their lives on one thing, God. So tonight, we're finishing up our blessed series by going through the verse. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So tonight, we're going to answer three questions through this verse. The first is, what does it mean to be pure in heart? The second, what is, how do we even begin to cultivate a pure heart? And the third is, what does it mean that we will see God? And so starting with that first one, what does it mean to be pure in heart? I think to help us here, we need to look at the original context and the original audience of the verse. If you've been around, you've probably heard us say this before, but uh, the Bible, it isn't written to us, but it is written for us. And so I think we'll gain a lot of under more understanding by looking at the original context. So a lot of scholars think that there were two primary issues that Jesus was getting at in this verse two like cultural issues that he was saying that he was speaking into. The first was that there was this rampant culture that was emphasizing living life from the outside in. People were doing the right things to appear a certain way, to appear good to the people around them. But um, inside their motivations, they were kind of all over the place. And that's because a lot of scholars will say that there was a deeper issue going on, a root issue. And the bigger issue at hand, the second thing that Jesus was speaking into, was that their devotion, their center, and their focus for their life was divided among many things. The Bible will often refer to this as double-mindedness. Maybe you've heard or that of that or seen it before in your own personal study, but that's what it's talking to about here. 
Um, you see, they loved God, but they also wanted to appear good to the people around them. They loved God, but they also wanted to do things their own way. And this was kind of like a culturally accepted way to live. Um, religious leaders of the day um, were subtly encouraging it. Um, and so this thinking, it was everywhere. It was, again, the air that they breathed. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's calling people to a whole life devotion that starts on the inside and affects every area of their lives. You see, in Jewish literature, the heart was understood as the center of all parts of the human experience. I think when we hear heart, we think of like fuzzy feelings and Hallmark cards and emotions and, and feelings. Um, but when Jesus was saying, blessed are the pure in heart, um, he was calling them to a life that every part of their life was devoted to God first and foremost. Um, Jesus was calling them to focus on God first and foremost, to love God more than anything else, and to allow that love to seep into all of the areas of their lives. We, too, uh, need to hear this message. We, too, try to live life from the outside in. We think we can earn God's love by what we do for him. We post on social media, we curate our feed to look as if we're thriving and we're happy, but inside we are struggling and no one knows. We come to church and Veritas and small group to um, keep up this appearance of following Jesus, to keep up this appearance that we're good and everything is okay. But when the door is closed and no one is watching, our real priorities show. We too have divided hearts. We love God, but we only obey when we feel like it. We love God, but we also party on the weekends. We lay our entire lives at the feet of Jesus, but also, if we're being honest, the reigning voice in our heads and in our lives are the voices of the people around us. Or maybe, maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know, like, I, I come to church on Sunday, I get my Jesus here, I come to Veritas and I get my Jesus here, I have Jesus here and Jesus here, but I'm going to keep my mornings, my evenings, my weekends, my TV shows to me and what I want to do. And that's like, that's going to be good for me and that's like, I'm doing good. We think that we can live our lives in this state of continuous partial attention, giving our time and energy to so many different things and sometimes all at once. But in this verse, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. In this verse, Jesus says that the good life, the life that is blessed, the way of life of living that brings true flourishing for our lives is not to live our lives split up in this state of continuous partial attention, but to have one true life devotion have one true focus, one true love him, and let that influence every part of our lives. I mean, think about water for a second. Water is pure when water is fully water. It kind of sounds like so simple, it's almost dumb. But when water gets tainted or infused with other things, it is no longer pure water. There is like a singular way for water to be in order for it to serve its life-giving purpose on earth. 
So with all of this in mind, pursuing purity, pursuing purity is pursuing a whole life devotion to God. It's about centering our entire lives on him, letting him be our highest love and the love that affects all other loves and that affects all areas of our lives. Now that we have a little bit of a better idea of what purity is, I wanted to spend some time talking about what purity isn't and what sometimes we can make it out to be. The first thing is purity is not, is purity is not denying our desires or ignoring them. I know I've done this before, so tell me I'm not alone here. But I hear a talk like this, and I go home, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person. Um, I have A, B, and C in my life, and I don't want A, B, and C in my life. And so I'm just going to push them off to the side, pretend like they don't exist, and maybe they won't exist. It's like I can think that I can convince myself that I am somehow more than human. Um, It reminds me of this video. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you won't think it's as funny as I do. But it's... um, I call it onion girl. <laughs> but this, the caption explains that this little girl, it's a toddler, you'll see in a sec. Um, but she wanted an apple and instead reaches and grabs an onion. And her mom corrects her and is like, no, sweetie, that's, that's an onion, not an apple. Instead of like putting it back, she proceeds to take a bite of the onion to try and convince her mom that it's an apple. Let's watch. <laughs> Are you guys convinced? When we, oh, it makes me laugh so hard. Um, when we ignore and straight up deny our reality that we are eating an onion and not an apple, that we are human and we have desires and struggles and sins that sometimes don't line up with what we want to want most in this life, we only hurt ourselves. Ephesians 5, 8 through 12 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Now, this verse is really metaphorical. Maybe you lost me already. Um, But it's reminding followers of Jesus of their identity as children of light and how we are to live in light of that. And to do that, we find what pleases the Lord and have nothing to do with what doesn't. And then he goes on, he's quick to say, um, he's quick to say in verse 11 that we don't just ignore or or deny those things, but we expose them. We bring those things into the light so that God's light might shine through those things. You see, followers of Jesus, we are not supposed to live in denial or in the dark. 
Pursuing purity has to include a fervent commitment to reality. It requires exposing sin where it is honestly to ourselves, to God, and with others. And I'll talk more about that in a bit. But if you're not being honest about your desires and struggles, you can wade into this next point. Um, Another thing that purity is not that sometimes it can get twisted into, and that is purity is not behavior modification or worse, hypocrisy. Pursuing purity, it has to come from a whole life devotion to God, not just a desire to get it right. Not being honest about our reality can lead us to doing things on the outside to keep up this appearance, but while internally we are struggling and we are actually just destroying ourselves. It's the exact thing that Jesus spoke out against when he was saying in Matthew 23, buckle up, uh, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I mean, woof. In the first century, whitewashed tombs were these painted grave sites that appeared beautiful and clean from the outside, but on the inside were masking rotting corpses. When we deny or ignore our sin, our lives can start to look like the very kinds of empty and hollow lives that Jesus was speaking out against. That's not purity. Purity is not being nice to someone, but when they're not in the room, talking about them as if they're not around. Purity is not going to church, coming to Veritas, going to small group, doing all the right things, but not spending any time alone with God. Purity is not abstaining from sex with your significant other, but engaging with pornography when no one is around. Now, this is all a lot, and I'm not even done yet. Um, but maybe you're sitting here feeling overwhelmed, and honestly, I'm, I'm right there with you. As I've been praying and preparing for this talk, I just keep coming back to the words of Proverbs 29 when they say, Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? By God's grace, I'm standing up here tonight giving this talk. I'm not standing up here because I have made my own heart clean because I've figured out how to make my own heart pure for my sin. I'm standing here because Jesus has made my heart clean. I'm standing up here because this is a lifelong process that I too am in the thick of. A lifelong process of centering my life on Jesus, falling short, and then coming back and refiltering all of my loves through him and then messing up again and then doing it all again. I've had to come to terms with the fact that everything I give my attention to, everything I give my heart and my mind and my body to is shaping me. We are extremely malleable creatures. What I allow in my life will shape my view of myself, of God, and the people around me. And in a world that is constantly pulling my attention, bless you, (laughs) attention in so many different directions, what I allow to shape me is so important. You see, I want to want Jesus more than anything else in this world. But I have to work a bit to cultivate that reality in my life, which leads me to my next point. 
How do we even begin to cultivate a pure heart? I'm going to talk about three ways we can do this. It's not all um, encompassing by all means, but I think they're really helpful. Um, The first one is we can cultivate a pure heart through obedience, everyone's favorite word. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 7 says, We are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So what comes next, what we're about to read, is in the context that God walks with us, that he calls us his, that he calls us his sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty. And it goes on to say, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, that we just read about, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, You have a promise of a God who walks with you, who calls you his beloved son or daughter of the Lord Almighty. Out of a relationship with him, out of reverence for him, we want to cut out anything that might be bending us to love other things more than him. I'm, I'm going to get pretty honest here with you guys. Everything you give your attention to is shaping you in some way. Even if you think that it doesn't affect you all too much, um, Jesus says in Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You may think that that thing isn't affecting you all too much. But this verse says on a spiritual level, it is. So a few questions. How are the shows that you watch shaping your heart? How is pornography shaping your view of sex? How is social media shaping your view of yourself, of God, of the people around you? How are the influencers, the podcasts, the thought leaders that you ascribe to shaping your ability to center your life on Jesus? Or here's another question, another way to think about it. How much time do you allow those things? TV, social media, pornography, podcasts, video games, you name it. And how much time do you honestly spend with God? If everything we do is shaping us and we want to cultivate a pure heart and a whole life that is devoted to God, We have to allow time and space for God to shape us through, this is really elementary, but through daily prayer and reading of God's word. Call it a devotion, call it a quiet time. Maybe you've heard it as as those things, but what it's doing is it's shaping our desires and our passions. It's bending us back towards God in a world that is constantly shaping us away from him. How can you create more space for this in your daily life? If you're just starting um, on this and maybe, or maybe you are just out of practice, um, start by just giving it 10 minutes every day, just 10 minutes. It can be in your car. And then once that's kind of a regular habit, um, increase that to 20 minutes and then to 30 minutes. Maybe if you're already there, 
um, try incorporating a few days a week where you go a little bit deeper into God's word. Maybe try incorporating a Sabbath, a 24-hour day of rest into your weekly routine, or maybe set, a, um, set aside um, or sticking to your social media limits um, and not just ignoring them like I do. Um, or maybe even deleting social media for a week or two. Uh, maybe setting a one screen at a time rule so that whenever you're only, when you're watching TV, you're only watching TV and you're not also scrolling through social media. So first thing that we can cultivate a pure heart through is obedience. The second is through honesty. I can share many stories of Christians who did not remain committed to the reality of sin in their life, and it destroyed them. One story that's pretty recent is about Ravi Zacharias. Maybe you've heard of him, um, his ministry, or the news that has circulated about him since his death. But Ravi was a world-renowned teacher and apologist. I actually got to listen to him speak once um, at a conference when I was in college, and I just remember being so impacted by his message and the way he spoke. Um, it was so refreshing to me at the time. A few months ago, he passed away last year, but a few months ago, um, some news came out, um, an investigation found that he had been abusing and assaulting hundreds of women in the dark for over the span of decades. And hearing this news, I mean, it rocked me. How could someone that had such an impact on my life and my faith, how could someone that appeared to be following Jesus on the outside, how um, could he get away with abusing and assaulting women for, I mean, decades? I won't go into details um, because you can look that up on your own time, um, but they, I mean, are, I mean, just shockingly evil um, and so heartbreaking. But I wanted to share a Twitter thread from uh, Jackie Hill Perry, if you know that name. Um, I really love her. But she captured my thoughts really well, and I wanted to read through them. She said, I attended Ravi's funeral last year. It was celebratory in every way, Christ-exalting too. The testimonies of his friends and family, along with the clips from his decades of ministry, left me and my husband with a stronger desire to be like Jesus in the way we believed Ravi was too. She goes on to like talk about the news that came out and compares it to a few passages in scripture, but we'll pick back up. The point I'm making is this, saying good things isn't the same as having a good character. And that's a hard truth because we want to believe that our heroes believe too, but sadly, that's not always the case. I guess for me, I feel a greater burden to stay near to God, to kill the little foxes, to cut off the hand or pluck out the eye, whichever member is leading me to sin to not determine my righteousness by my success or by the accuracy in which I can communicate the gospel. Ravi's ministry was a gift to most of us, but his fall is a warning to all of us. Take heed, lest we fall too. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What Ravi did was unthinkably evil and absolutely not okay. Um, I do not want to take away from that. But my point is this, that what Ravi did didn't happen overnight. What Ravi did take, took a lifetime of ignoring the reality of sin in his life, of denying the reality of sin in his life, 
of over time, his sin and his struggles shaping him and desensitizing him to get to the point that he did. This should be incredibly sobering to us. I'm reminded of a phrase a Christian psychologist I follow says a lot. Um, He says, name it so you can tame it. As part of your regular time with God, include time to be honest with him. Name the desires and struggles that are shaping you, that are bending you away from him. Invite Jesus into that struggle. Don't just ignore it or deny it or wish it away. In doing so, you are reshaping your heart towards that thing. You are reorienting your life around God. And don't just stop at being honest with God. Um, Also be honest to the people around you. That leads me to my next point. We can cultivate a pure heart through community. For some of you, this maybe is the hardest and the scariest part. And honestly, I get it. I'll tell you a personal story about this. Um, I have no idea where I heard this phrase before, but it stuck with me. Um, But someone at some point said that everyone um, knows about 98% of who you allow them to see. 98%. But there's 2% that we tend to keep to ourselves. 2% of you that probably no one knows. My 2% for a long time was something that I felt deep shame about. It was a part of my story and my struggles that I locked up tight because some, somewhere down the line, I got it in my head that Christians weren't supposed to struggle with it. I was terrified of people knowing, of being ousted as a fake, um, and I was scared that people were gonna look at me different. But not telling anyone, it was making me feel, honestly, just like powerless over the struggle. It was making me feel like a liar to the people around me who I loved so dearly. And I would hear these Christians talk about the freedom that they felt when they let people into their sin and their struggle. And I just wanted that so bad. I was at this point, I mean, struggling um, and at a breaking point with it. And so one day, um, my junior year of college, I was hanging out with my best friend at the time. I think we were watching TV, and I literally just blurted it out. And I said, I can't do this on my own anymore. Can you please pray for me? That moment started a way of healing for me that I really don't think would have happened if I had never let anyone in to my 2%. My friend prayed for me in the moment, and she still continues to follow up with me about it to this day. It's moments like these that truths that I read about in scripture become like almost real to me. Like in James 5, 16, when he says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Don't miss that. God has put healing in the hands of the people around you. Do not let pride take away from that healing. Something that's been helpful for me over the years is I'll feed a few questions to my closest friends. Um, I'll kind of let them in on my current struggles and desires, and yeah, I'll just feed them a few questions that I want them to ask me every once in a while. Um, Questions like, how's your 2% going? Or, I noticed you've been busy lately. For me, busyness is like a huge thing. So for you, like, what would that be? Like, I've noticed this lately. How has that been affecting your relationship with God? Or, Um, maybe when it comes to a good thing that it seems like I'm doing, they'll check my motivations and uh, making sure that I'm doing it for the right reasons. Hey, I noticed you were doing this thing. Why are you excited about that? Small groups are a great place to practice this. 
If you're not in one, I know it's the end of the semester, but um, think ahead for the fall. Move things around in your schedule so that you can prioritize this next semester. Um, we'd love for you to be involved in a small group here. And if you're already in one, um, take that hard first step in vulnerability and open up. Small groups won't be a place where this happens until you make it one. All of this, all of this leaves us with one last question to ask. What does it mean to see God? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Somehow Jesus says that these ideas are related. It's not super clear how having a pure heart is related to seeing God, but I think it has a lot to do with how having a whole life devotion to God affects the way that we love and we see him in our daily lives. I think in many ways, seeing God is our daily relationship with him, which is our motivation for pursuing purity now, but also our hope in what is to come. It is out of our love for God, out of our yearning for him, that we pursue purity here and now. But it's also our hope. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As the music team comes back up, we'll keep this up. You see, this is our hope that God is using our clumsy obedience to transform us into his image. That God, that through our honesty and our repentance, God is shaping our hearts back to him again and again. And that through deep community with other believers, our, that we would be healed day by day. And that through our whole life devotion to him, we would experience the flourishing that we were created to that we would see his kingdom come in our hearts and in our lives, our relationships, and in our influences. And that one day, we will be like him, and we will see him as he is and as he truly is. At the end of the day, it's not about whether we have the cleanest slates, because by our own will, we won't. But because Jesus has drawn near to us, we purify our hearts. Because of our love for Jesus, we cut things out of our lives that are bending us towards other things. Because Jesus died for us, we put to death the very things he died for. Not because anything we can do on our own can make our own hearts pure, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Because of Jesus, our hearts are clean. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.